who he was in the Old Testament, who he was in the New Testament, who he was during the periods of national revival, that's the same God that we serve today. That is the exact same God that we serve today. He has remained the same in a world that's always changing. So I'll turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And may I ask you all to stand as I read this passage. We've had a great morning, a full morning, and Brother Haley preached an amazing message this morning. So I hope that this message will also be an encouragement to us all. Genesis chapter 37. And you don't have to read it out loud with me, but I'll be reading Genesis, uh, verses 23 to 28. So chapter 37, verses 23 to 28. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. You may now take your seats. Thank you. Joseph was a spoiled son. I was... At first, when I was writing this message, I was, I was about to put Joseph was a spoiled brat, but he wasn't a brat. He was a, he was a good son, but he was spoiled. His father, Jacob, didn't try to hide the fact that Joseph was more special than all the other sons. He didn't hide the fact that he loved Jacob more than the, than the other brothers. And this favoritism that Jacob showed, obviously, it bothered the brothers. They grew jealous. They became bitter. Over here, they were wearing boring, drab coats and clothing. But over here, Joseph, only one in the family wearing a coat of many colors. Beautiful, handcrafted by their father. Over here, they had to go to the fields and tend to the flock and work every single day. What was Joseph doing? Relaxing at home with his father. I mean, it, it's, it only makes sense as to why the brothers grew very bitter towards Joseph, their youngest. And it also didn't help that Joseph's dream, Joseph's dream suggested that all of them would eventually bow down to him. That's a, if, you, if, some, if, if I had a younger brother and he told me that, he would get, wow, I would, I would make sure he, he doesn't say that again. That dream only fi- fanned the fires of hatred in the hearts of their brothers. And we see the climax of their hatred in this chapter. Their hatred was so great towards their youngest brother that they contemplated killing him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had so much bitterness for a person that I ever contemplated that I want to take their life. Never. And I'm sure you feel the same way. You can see the depth of their hatred towards Joseph. The only reason why they didn't follow through with this this murder was because of their other brother Judah. Judah was able to talk some sense into them. Guys, this is our blood brother. This is our family. What, what can we gain from killing him? 
But Judah wasn't in his right mind either. Because as soon as he said that, he suggested, let's just sell him to slavery. That's better, right? Instead of telling his brothers to just forgive Joseph, no, let's just sell him to slavery. That's better. But the other brothers were content with that suggestion, and they agreed that that's what they'll do. So, the first Midianite merchantmen that passed by, that they encountered, they sold him off. They sold Joseph. Now, their biggest source of headache was gone. They'll never see this guy again. He can go dream somewhere else. Now he's straight going, going to Egypt and will never have to deal with his spoiled, spoiled, spoiled self. Or so they thought. But on another note, what I find interesting about this passage is that it is... It doesn't really say the emotions that Joseph was feeling at that moment. Because we see the bitterness and the anger of the brothers. Afterwards, we see the sorrow and grief of the father, Jacob. But nowhere in this passage do we see Joseph reacting to his situation. But he was 17 years old. I can't imagine a 17-year-old handling this, this situation quietly. I mean, if you were 17 years old and your brother stuck you in a pit and we're talking about killing you or, or selling you into slavery, how would you be reacting? In my opinion, maybe, maybe we can imagine that Joseph was calling for help. Father, father, your other sons went crazy. Save me. Maybe he was calling for help. Maybe eventually he gives up. Hours pass by and no help was coming, so he starts crying in that pit. His brothers are ignoring him, and so tears start rolling down Joseph's face. He didn't do anything wrong. He was not a bad, bad brother. Tears maybe started rolling down Joseph's face as he was stuck in that pit with no way of getting out. Maybe as he was, maybe as he was pulled out of the pit by the merchantmen, maybe his heart sunk. This is it. This is the end of my life. Maybe as he was put into the cart, and while he was being transported to Egypt, on his face was etched the emotions of sorrow and grief. That's how I would, I would expect him to react to such a situation. The point that I'm getting to with the example of Joseph is that our life can change drastically for better or for worse at a moment's notice. Earlier that morning, what was Joseph doing? He was with his father, probably spending good time with his father, relaxing and just enjoying his life, enjoying his day. And little did he know at that moment that in a, in a few hours before the night ended, that he would be sold off and shipped to Egypt to become a slave. And that he will never get to see his father for years. Joseph's life changed and in the blink of an eye. And our lives are always changing. Sometimes life changes come gradually. As in the case with Jeremiah. Jeremiah became a prophet during the reign of King Josiah. At that time, Judah was a godly nation. But as he, as he continued in ministry, he had to become a prophet to very evil kings. And eventually, he was even a prophet for the fallen Judah. When, when the Babylonians destroyed their city, he was still their prophet. So his life changes were gradual. But in Joseph's case, it was immediate. It hit like a truck and it came out of nowhere. 
Now, I, this message started speaking to me because a couple of weeks ago, and this is me being fully transparent, a couple of weeks ago, or just a couple months ago, I felt, I felt sad. And some people call it seasonal sadness. Uh, I know maybe some of you can relate. But I, I felt very sad for no reason. And I started thinking about how life was like just five years ago. That's not a long time, just five years ago. And I started recalling what time was like in 2018. I remembered back then I had a different group of friends that I I hung out with. Five years ago, I still had my best friend. The guy that, really the only guy that I was ever fully transparent with and open with, I still had him. Five years ago, another one of my close friends, he, he still lived in the area. He hasn't left for the army. He hasn't gotten married yet. And he was always at my house. And we would just spend the night playing games. And he was, he was like my bigger brother from another mother. And I, I loved the guy. And I had other friends too that I was very close with five years ago that I'm not as close with now. And that made me sad. Made me feel lonely. Even outside of my own, line, I, I, own life, I think about what the world was like five years ago. Our city seems to be a completely different city because five years ago, I don't remember that there, there being that much traffic out there when I go home from church. Before, when Wednesday service ended, I would be happy because the roads were clear. Now when Wednesday service ends, the roads are still as trafficy as ever here. We've, we've seen an increase in population even around these parts. Prices of certain things were so much cheaper. I used to buy milk all the time, Pastor, but now I can't because the, the milk I buy is very expensive. Five years ago, it felt like the world had more peace. Less wars and conflicts, less rumors of wars. We weren't talking about World War III five years ago. Or at least I wasn't. COVID hadn't happened yet. And that particular pandemic I think significantly accelerated the development of technology and media to the point that AI is something that we use on a common basis. And I think that's a result of this COVID pandemic. Thinking about the friends I had, it made me feel lonely. Thinking about the world is what the world is becoming, it filled me with a sense of dread. This is going to be the world in which, God willing, I will have to raise my children in. This world, a world that looks like it's morally bankrupt, this is the world that I have to dwell in. And that filled me with a sense of worry and anxiousness. And I was quick to label five years ago as the good old days. Five years ago, those were the good old days. We'll never get that back. And I don't think I'm alone in this sentiment either. We often look retrospectively and we see all the change in our lives and all the changes in our world and our society, and we wish we could travel back in time to five years ago to relive those days once more. And we think that the best years of our life was behind us. But the point of my sermon and the conclusion that I, I, I came to when I was struggling with this, and I know this is a cliche saying, but the Bible shows that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come for all of us. And before we get into the message, let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this privilege and this opportunity to preach your word. And 
I pray, Lord, that you just, again, speak to the hearts of all, of the, all those people present. Encourage them with this, with this uh, important truth. I pray, Lord, that you be with my, my throat. Allow me to just uh, be able to preach your word even with a sore throat. And give me power and enable me, Lord, uh, this afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The best is yet to come, huh? How can I have such confidence declaring such a statement? This isn't an example of blind confidence. But this is founded on my knowledge of the, of the Word of God. It is founded on, on, on God Himself, what I know about God. And it's founded on even my personal experience with Him. The truth is, none of us know what the next five years will bring. You don't know, I don't know. Within the past five years, we experienced major events that we would have never predicted. Like the COVID-19 pandemic. I still remember, I had a conversation with Tadal. This was in between the morning and evening service. And I was telling, I was telling, uh, I was telling Tadala, bro, have you heard of the pandemic? It, it, it spread out in the Philippines. And at the time, it was only in the Philippines and the Asian countries. And then Tadal said, eh, it'll all tied over. It'll be gone like next month. And that was, that was in January. March hit, and it was a global pandemic. No one expected COVID-19 to take the world like the way it did. We also witnessed the George Floyd incident that sparked the BLM movement and also encouraged other social issues. There was the invasion of Ukraine by the Russians. Most recently, we have the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Other events in the past five years include the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Everybody thought she was immortal, but no, she's, she's mortal like us. There was the freak accident that killed legendary player Kobe Bryant. I still remember that day too. I came back from bus and people were telling me that Kobe Bryant had passed away. Elon Musk recently purchasing Twitter. I don't know what ramifications that will hold, but again, I don't know anything. The world's global population reached 8 billion. There was a catastrophic earthquake that, kills, that killed tens of thousands in Turkey and Syria. We see now the rise of AI in society. Five years ago, we weren't talking about AI the way we do now. But now we're starting to discuss that AI can replace people, people's jobs. There was the insurrection or attempted insurrection in Washington, D.C. when Biden was, was made president. There was the terrible wildfires in America that devastated the West, devastated California. There are so many events that took place, and I can go on, in the last five years that we would have never predicted in 2018 would happen. And my point is this, we don't know anything that will happen by 2029. We may not even be here, 2029. Neither you nor I know what the next five years will hold for our personal lives, for our country, and for the world. The future being so uncertain, why then can I still confidently declare that the best is yet to come? With all of this uncertainty regarding the future, how can I say the best is yet to come? Well, let's take a look at it. Let's start taking a look at what the scripture has to say. Now, again, we're all aware that the world is always changing. Depending on who you ask, some people will say the world is evolving and developing. You ask another person, they'll say the world is getting worse and worse. And both of these stances are right. They, the world is evolving. Technologically speaking, we're doing things that we would have never imagined we could do just a couple years ago. I'm, I'm constantly surprised with AI. Sometimes I see a picture and I say, whoa, that was a good artist. But no, it was randomly produced by an AI, ChatGPT. 
And I'm very surprised with that. It blows my mind. So we are developing in terms of, of technology, but we are also devolving as a society. Our morals, we're morally bankrupt nowadays. We're finding all sorts of technological problems to a bunch of solutions, but we fail to acknowledge the one solution that this world needs for the sin problem that this world suffers from. We're morally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt as, as a society. We're changing. The world will continue to change. But let me remind you of this one indisputable fact. A fact which was just sung to us 10 minutes ago by the ladies. God never changes. God never changes. Despite how this world may change, despite how the times may change, God remains immutable. He will always be the same as He was back then, and He'll be the same for the rest of eternity. Who He was in the Old Testament, who He was in the New Testament, who He was during the periods of national revival, that's the same God that we serve today. That is the exact same God that we serve today. He has remained the same in a world that's always changing. Now, what does that mean for us? Let's turn to Psalm chapter 107. Psalm 107. And let's read this verse out loud together. It says, and let's read this out loud, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. God is good. He was incredibly good to the Israelites. Did they deserve God's goodness? A lot of times they didn't, but God still proved Himself to be good towards them. God was good towards the early church. God was good to people that we, don't, we wouldn't even consider deserves God's goodness. And He remains good for us today. And this goodness is primarily directed towards His children. Psalm 31.19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. God is good to all men. The fact that he allows people to, to have continued existence, even though they may be living in sin, that's an, that's an example in and of itself that God is good to all men. But great is his goodness specifically towards those who put their trust in him. That's us as Christians. Interestingly enough, I'm not a fan of the adjective good. I, it's probably my least favorite adjective, if I would rank all the adjectives. Why? Because it's, in my opinion, very plain. It's a very boring adjective. You know, I wouldn't want to describe a sermon as good. I would say it was convicting. I wouldn't describe a game as being a good game. I would say that was enlightening, maybe. I wouldn't say that's a good player. I would say he's a, he's a phenomenal player. I know they all mean similar things, but... For me, good is a very boring adjective. But with God, it just fits perfectly. And I think the reason why it fits so perfectly in God's case is because it is hard to put into words how good God has, has been to me. 
And I'm simply left saying, God is good. Has God been good to you? Exceedingly. And sometimes it's hard for us to, to, to find the words to say, to describe how good God has been. But He's good to us. It's tempting to look back five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, and see all the good things that we no longer have in our lives. And, and we fail to see all the good things God has given us in the present. There are things that I miss from the past. But there are things in the present that God gave me that I didn't have five years ago. God has provided the car and license. God provided our family with a new house. God gave me a dog, which was something that I always wanted. I didn't have that five years ago. I didn't have soda. God gave me an amazing girlfriend. God has graciously united our family and made us closer than ever within the last five years. God has allowed me to grow physically, spiritually, and mentally. And God gave me the privilege of now serving the teenagers, being a leader to them, something that I always wanted to be when I was younger. These are all blessings that God gave me in the present that I didn't have five years ago, yet I was so fixated on the past that I failed to see God's goodness in the present. I was so focused on what I had lost that I completely forgot everything that I had. It's very, very easy to do that, to be fixated on the past. But we shouldn't be. Don't discard and forget how much God has blessed you in the present. And sometimes, even though we look, at, look back at five years ago and think, think those are the good days, sometimes God removed those good things for our benefit. Maybe he, He's using that event to fuel our personal growth. And guess what? Even if things aren't looking too great in the present for, for your personal circumstances, and you find it difficult to see how God is good based on your, your situation that you're going through, let me segue into my second point. God has a great future laid out for each of us. Consistent with God's goodness, consistent with His immutability, God is not only good to us in the present, but will continue to be good to us as the years pass. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. We all know and love this verse. It is a verse that we run to when we are so uncertain of the future and we feel our life is, isn't going anywhere. Jeremiah 29, and you already know what verse, verse 11. Let's read this out loud. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. We all know, we all treasure this verse. But you know who probably had a hard time believing this verse? Believing in the legitimacy of this verse? The people that it was preached to. You know who this was preached to? The remnants of Judah. The remnants of Judah. Jeremiah preached this message to the only remaining citizens of Judah. At this point in time, their nation had just been recently destroyed ransacked, sieged. The temple of the Lord was looted, everything taken inside. It was burnt down. The walls that protected their beautiful city were torn down. The houses that they loved, the palaces of the kings, torn down, destroyed. And almost everybody they knew was gone. Many of them were killed in a slaughter. 
The rest of them were shipped to Babylon to be uh, glorified prisoners. And the remnants of Judah were now living in this broken, hopeless city. And yet Jeremiah was telling them God's message of, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Those people thought that this was the end of the road for them. That this is, there's, there's no future for Judah. Yet God told them the opposite. Despite their present circumstances, God had a better future laid out for the nation of Judah. Even if they couldn't see it themselves. We see the same principle in Joseph's life. Yes, he was sold into slavery. Yes, he was put in, put in jail for a, a crime that he didn't commit. But what did God eventually do for Joseph? He promoted him to be the second in command of Egypt, only under Pharaoh. When he was in that stinky jail cell, I don't think Joseph was thinking, oh, someday I'm going to be a great man in this country. I think Joseph was thinking, this might be it. I might have to be content with life being like this. He didn't see this beautiful future that God has laid out for him. He could only see the present circumstances. But God was working all of these things for Joseph's good and planning a, an amazing future for him. And God has a better future planned out for each of us. Even if our present circumstances are changing and making it hard to believe that there is a good future for each of us, God has promised it in Jeremiah that he has, a, he has thoughts of peace towards us. And we also have the promise of Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, obviously, we can't ignore the prerequisite to this verse, to those who love God. There is a prerequisite to this promise, but you can't expect your situation to get better if all you do is shun and ignore God. That's not how it works. But if you are someone who, is, who, who, who loves God and, is, and, and is, you're using your life to serve Him in, in the way that you know how, you can claim Romans 8.28. All things will work together for your good. Claim and hold on to that promise. All the present circumstances that you face, all the changes in your life that you are struggling to accept, God is working all of those things together for your good and so that you can have a better future. And yet... The best that I'm referring to is still yet to come. Because in point three, God has a home prepared for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's all turn there. 5 verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Even if your life on earth may never be the greatest, even if your life on earth may never look like the lives of these Hollywood actors, of these professional athletes, of these celebrities, of these social media influencers, even if your life may never look like those, that's fine. Because the best that I've been referring to all this time will only be experienced once we finish our temporary stay here on earth. We're pilgrims in this land. This is not where we will live for all eternity. If we're lucky, we get, if, if this is God's will for us, we will only be here for 80, 70, 90, maybe 100 years for some. But the rest of eternity awaits afterwards. 
will have to continue on to our eternal citizenship in heaven. Heaven will be such a wonderful place. I always think about what heaven will be like because we know it's a fact. We know it's somewhere we will be going to, but there's some details that we're left to speculate of how it will be like up there. We'll have our own mansion that is better than any home here on earth. Best of all, it's not going to cost you $2 million. It will be free of charge. Maybe your name will be inscribed on the front door. We'll have perfect, glorified bodies. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more aches or pains. Who woke up with some aches or pains this morning? Well, I did, and I'm only 25. We'll have, ache, we'll have no more aches or pains when we get to heaven. No aches of the body, no pains of the heart. Most of all, there will be no sin. Sin should grieve you. Sin should make you sad when you see it in the world, but in heaven you don't have to worry about it because it won't be there. We'll reunite with loved ones that we've missed, that went on before us. I look forward to seeing my grandparents. Those are the two people that I've missed a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing them eventually to seeing the, the, my grandfather who I never even got to meet. I'll see them all in heaven. You'll get to reunite with the loved ones you leave behind. Even if you were to pass away tonight, tomorrow, there will be that blessed reunion with the loved ones you left behind and you get to see each other again. We'll get to meet heroes of the faith that we've only ever heard stories of. All these missionaries that we talk about, we'll get to spend eternity with them, talk to them, and learn their stories. We'll get, we'll get to meet the many great men and women that we read about in the Bible. We'll get to see Joseph. Maybe he's still wearing the coat of many colors. We'll get to meet Noah. We'll get to meet the 12 disciples. We'll get to meet so many wonderful people. But most of all, who will we get to meet? Our Savior Jesus the one who we've dedicated our entire lives to serving, will finally get to meet Him and spend the rest of eternity with Him. We will never be away from God's glory ever again once we enter into heaven. We'll always be in His presence. All the struggles, all the pain, all the hardships that we experience here on earth are only temporary, though it may not seem like it. Though it seems like it's it's consuming our, the entirety of our lives. It's only temporary on, in, in the light of eternity. Because when we move on from this world, an always peaceful, an always joyful, and an always sinless eternity, eternity will be awaiting us. Jesus comforted the disciples with this very thought in John 14, 1-3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, I believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. We had a, a great message last Sunday night with, uh, from Pastor Silver talking all about Jesus' return. But the main point of that sermon was that Jesus can come at any time. Jesus is coming soon. And for some, that may be a scary thought. But for a Christian, that should be a blessed thought. Because all the struggles, all the pain that we struggle with are done for. Because we'll get to go to eternity, we go to get, we'll get to go to heaven, and, and enjoy a presence there that we never got to enjoy here on earth. I wish everybody in the world 
would hear this message. I don't like reading the news, but I somehow always find, end up reading very sad articles. No matter what direction you focus your gaze at, whether it be the people in Canada, whether it be the people in the Philippines, whether it be the people in Ukraine, whether it be the people in Israel, or whatever in the world, you'll find pain and suffering everywhere. Homeless people. Many of these individuals were destroyed by drugs, by strong drink. And they only ever know a life of isolation, suffering, and discomfort. I don't take too kindly with people who make fun of homeless people, who make fun of these drug addicts and saying, this is what happens. Because we're all human. We can all make mistakes that lead us to that path. They're they're human too. Not they were human. They're still human who need saving. But it's because of sin that they don't see an escape from their situation and they're so... uh, uh, They're so... They, they're affected, they, they love drugs and strong things, and they can't give it up. That's the effect of sit. But I wish homeless people all around the world would hear this message. All those in poverty who every single day they wake up and wonder, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to take care of my family? If we, don't get, if we don't do anything, we won't be around tomorrow. I wish they can also hear the gospel. They need Jesus. There are children all around the world who have only ever known a life of hardship. Some have only ever known a life of abuse. Some have never even experienced what love is like because they didn't have any family members. They're suffering on earth already. And if they don't accept Jesus, they might suffer for eternity. These children, children need to hear this message. There are teenagers who are bullied every day. All they ever know in high school is a life of persecution, a life of shame, because they look different. And they go home lock themselves in the room and they contemplate suicide and some follow through with that. And what happens to many of them? They don't get to experience a joyful eternity. They need Jesus. There are adults who made the wrong choices in life. Now they have tons of regrets. They have no hope, no joy, no purpose as they live the remainder of their existence. They need Jesus too. The gospel is what the world needs. If they accept Jesus Christ into their hearts, then no matter what present circumstances may ail them, they will enjoy heaven for all eternity. Homeless people who've only ever known isolation, have only ever known being ostracized by other people, when they get to heaven, they'll have a mansion of their own. Never having to spend another night cold, alone, they'll get to spend it with others. Children who knew no love here on earth, who, only, who was only ever abused here on earth, they will go to heaven and enjoy, and, only, and enjoy the fullest definition of love. Teenagers who couldn't make any friends here on earth, 
They will have all the friends that they would want in heaven. And adults who live joyless lives here on earth will go to a place of perpetual joy. That is the best that is coming for all of those who accepted Jesus into their hearts. And I wish, and it is God's desire too, for all men to be saved. It's Christmas time. Pastor White has already said this multiple times that Christmas time is, the, is a very easy time to minister and soul in. We learn about the birth of Jesus Christ and that's a great opportunity to segue into, into introducing them to the gospel message. Let's not let this Christmas season pass us by. Let's maximize this season and invite other people and tell them the true reason for the season, to tell them about Jesus Christ, to give them hope. We live in a world with no hope. People need the gospel. If, you, if these people never accept Jesus into their hearts, they'll never get to spend the rest of eternity in a life of peace, and a life of joy. Only when Jesus is in your heart will the best come. So I don't know what difficult life changes you're going through. Maybe you lost special people in your life that you had five years ago. Maybe your health grew worse than the last five years. Maybe you lost your job and also lost your future in, in your thought. Maybe your family fell apart. Maybe wherever you're working, you're facing heavy persecution for your faith. Maybe like me, you've felt lonely, maybe depressed. Whatever changes and hardships you're going through, I promise you this. The Bible says the best is yet to come. God will always be good to us. And He has a beautiful and peaceful ending for every one of His children. And when it is time to leave this world, we will enjoy an amazing eternity in heaven where no pain exists, where no suffering exists, where no sin exists. The best is yet to come. That's right. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.